Amen. Thank you, Catherine. That was great. Why don't we pray to start? Let's get in the zone. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that your word is alive and active. Lord, we pray that we would open up our hearts right now, ready to receive everything that you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to see you all. Today, I want to talk to you about the ABC of Christian maturity. As Christians, we are all called to grow, regardless of how old we are or how long we've been a Christian, we are all called to grow. God wants us to go deeper in our faith. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Equip, and we've heard three great messages looking at three different areas which we need to be equipped in if we're going to grow in our faith and become more like Jesus. Can you remember them? They are spiritual intimacy, biblical knowledge, and holy obedience. In our passage today in John 15, it tells us quite simply and straightforward, and it's actually an expectation in verse 2, that mature disciples of Jesus bear fruit. And not just any fruit, but fruit that remains. So, what I want to do this morning is to look at these three areas of intimacy, knowledge, and obedience. And I want to give you a fruit that comes under each one of these areas. And as we go along on this journey, I want to invite you to ask yourself, am I bearing this fruit in my own life, or do I have room for growth? But before we get going with the ABC, I want to stop and encourage you with this thought. God wants you to grow. It sounds simple, but it's really profound. God actually wants you to grow. God is for you. God is championing you. God's not against you. Sometimes in life, we hit a bit of a roadblock, don't we? When we become a bit stagnant or stale and we stop growing, sometimes we can put the onus onto God and we can start to question God. Am I not growing because I'm not doing something or because of something you're not doing? But when you read the Bible, God's promise to you is that you go from glory to glory. In other words, God wants you to keep growing. If you're in a good time, of you're in a bad time. If you're in good season or if you're in a really tough season, God still wants you to grow even then. So let's look at the ABC of Christian maturity. And under each letter, I want to describe the fruit to you. And then I want to give you two measurements, two ways that you can measure in your own life if you're growing in this particular area and this particular fruit. So, point number A, affection like Asaph. Asaph was King David's worship leader, and you can see his appointment in 1 Chronicles 16. Asaph's job was to show affection. That's what he was employed and paid to do, to show adoration. 
which is quite a task when you think about who he was responsible to. And Asaph we know a little bit more about because he wrote a handful of our Psalms. So in the book of Psalms, Asaph authored a number of the Psalms, which we still use today. And in these Psalms, we catch a glimpse or an insight into Asaph's character and his faith. And one of my favorite Psalms of Asaph is Psalm 73. And in a nutshell, in Psalm 73, what we see is Asaph being real, raw, authentic, and honest. He's crying out to God. He's basically in this psalm saying, look, God, why is good stuff happening to bad people and bad stuff is happening to me, the good guy? Can anybody relate to that? Maybe you've been in a season in your life when you think you're doing everything right, but yet just stuff is going wrong. And you look around and maybe you've got a family member or somebody you know, and they're not following Jesus, yet they seem to be prospering. Everything in their life seems to be going well. And it doesn't seem right. Yet the principle we learn from Asaph is affection through affliction. Affection through affliction. And this is one thing that I spotted running throughout Asaph's Psalms. It's that Asaph's there. He's, he's pouring out his heart to God. He's being real. He's being honest, which is a reminder and an encourager to us, isn't it? That if King David's worship leader can do that, then we can do that too. We don't have to put on a front when we come to God, but God wants us just to be honest. He wants us just let him have it. But the problem is that we can't stay there. Because if we stay in that place, it leads to doubt and unbelief. And that's a place that God doesn't want us to be in. But instead in Asaph's Psalms, what we see is he digs deep. He pushes past the pollution and the contamination in his heart that's, that's trying to make his heart not like Christ. And he pushes down deep below that and to the foundation of his faith. And what do we see under all that affliction? We see his affection for God. And we read these words in verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's true affection through affliction. And not just through affliction, but also over affliction. I've never met a mature Christian that isn't wholeheartedly and passionately affection toward God and other people. I'm afraid it just doesn't work or happen like that. So, measurement number one. How can you measure this in your own life? Well, firstly, you can ask yourself, have your priorities changed? When you have a certain affection towards someone or something, or for some it might even be a pet, when you have affection towards them, your priorities begin to change. You start to reorder your life around them. Have you noticed that in your life? 
So for example, if I sat down with you now over Sunday lunch and we looked at the diary of your week, how much would your affection for God be influencing your hours? Yes, you've got to sleep. Yes, you've got to eat. Yes, you've got to work. But then outside of things like that, how much time are we devoting in our affection toward God? Measurement number two. Is your affection strong through affliction? Affliction comes in our life to make us weary. It tries to weigh us down. And when that happens, and I've experienced this myself, it can be really tough to show affection through affliction. But that is the sign of a mature believer, that you remain in the right heart being able to show affection to God at all times, regardless of what the affliction is. Point number B, big heart like Boaz. In the Old Testament, there's a fabulous little book which is titled after the main character, and her name is Ruth. Four chapters long, you can read it in 10, 15 minutes, and it's hidden in between the books of Judges and Samuel. And to cut a short story even shorter, this young lady called Ruth, who's a Moabite, so she's not even an Israelite, yet she's got a book named after her. She ends up moving to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, because her husband has died. There'd been a famine, they'd been in Moab, come back to Israel, And what happens? She ends up meeting a man named Boaz. And this Boaz is fascinating. There's a lot about him. So much so that we know him as a type of Christ. In other words, he shows characteristics of Jesus many years before Jesus was ever on the planet. For example, in Boaz we see generosity. We see a sweet spirit. Boaz is faithful. Boaz is true to his word. And all these things in Boaz point to Boaz being a father. Not just a physical father, but a father in terms of spiritual maturity. In 1 John 2, 12, 13, 14, we see three levels of maturity. Let's read together now, 12, 13, 14. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? But I want to explain it to you. In this passage, we three, three levels of maturity. So ladies, lean in too. Don't zone out because the language isn't perhaps yours, but do lean in and listen to what I've got to say. Because you can be a Christian any length of time 
and still not have grown. Doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you can still not have progressed on the growth scale. I want to start by looking at this passage in the natural realm. Children are dependent. Children are dependent upon their parents. Children generally live carefree lives. Children don't pay bills. Children don't make food and feed themselves. Well, they perhaps feed themselves, but that's just about it, isn't it? It gets on the table somehow, it appears. The same with washing, right? The washing appears. It's done, it's folded, it's ironed, and it's all there. Children are dependent upon others. But then as we progress up into the teenage phase, we slowly move from dependence into independence. We, we all of a sudden know what we're doing. We don't really need that much help anymore because actually we've been doing this life thing for a little while right now. So actually, if, if you just leave me to it, I can get on because I know what I'm doing. Some of you nodding heads and can relate to that. You've had a teenager that's perhaps been through that phase. But then as we progress and get a bit older and move up the maturity ladder, we move back into this place of interdependence. We're all of a sudden not so much reliant on others wholeheartedly. So we're not dependent and, and we're not so much independent anymore, but we move into this central space where actually we've learned how to look after ourselves well, but we're also learning and we've learned how to look after others well. The mindset changes from simply just receiving to actually giving as well. So let's go back to the passage now and let's look again through this passage in terms of spiritual maturity. Number one, dependent children. In verse 12, it says that the child knows that their sins have been forgiven. In other words, this is the basics. This is the very foundation. To become a Christian, we have to acknowledge sin in our life, repent, turn from it, and then we get born again. Our spirit is regenerated. But what this passage is saying is that at that child level, that is the absolute basic. That's what you do to become a Christian. So when you start off as a believer, you become a baby who is alive in the kingdom. It's like your eyes have been opened to a whole new world. You can be 80 years old, but still have a nappy in the faith, right? Number two, independent teens. Verse 13 says concerning young men that they've battled with temptation, but they've learned how to overcome and conquer. So as we start to grow in Christ, we start to become that bit more mature. We start to learn to stand on our own two feet and to fight our battles. But the problem with this independence is that it starts to become just a little bit too much about us. So for example, in church life, it can become about empire building and not so much about building God's kingdom. 
And it becomes about what can I achieve for God? This is my ministry, so it's probably best if you just stay out the way because I know what I'm doing. And that's what we often see in this independence phase of maturity. And things that are often disguised as wisdom are actually immaturity. Number three, interdependent parents. You might have noticed that in verse 13 and verse 14, John repeats himself word for word when he describes fathers, and it's the same in the Greek. He says that fathers know him. Simple as that. Fathers know him. He's saying that fathers know God's heart. When you're younger in the faith, your will, your desire, your agenda is still strong. But as you progress up this scale and up this ladder of maturity in faith, the father, the parent becomes completely surrendered to God's will and God's purpose. And he knows and she knows God's heart in every situation. Fathers are now investing into others in the kingdom. They've gone from being alive in the kingdom to to living in the kingdom to now investing into others in the kingdom. For example, in church life, it all of a sudden becomes about you over me. I'm learning to invest into you because I want to see you grow. I want to see you mature in your faith. There's been a mindset shift from just being able to lead yourself to now leading others. And all of a sudden, it becomes from just being about yourself to now being about God and him receiving all the glory. Going back to Boaz. In Boaz, we see the heart of a spiritual father. He could have looked down on Ruth being a Moabite. He could have looked down on Ruth who was in his field taking part of his harvest and his crop. His heart could have grown cold and bitter towards her. But instead, Boaz keeps his heart clean and his heart pure. And because of this very thing, he would end up marrying her and becoming the great-grandfather of King David and also being in the genealogy of Jesus. We heard a few weeks ago that there's a big difference between knowing something in your head and knowing it in your heart. And we see this in Boaz. Boaz didn't just have the knowledge of the law in his head, but he also had it in his heart. And this affected the way that he treated and the way that he looked after Ruth. If Boaz had treated Ruth from his head, What happened wouldn't have made sense. He was an older man. She was a younger woman. But because he acted from his heart, because he had God's word in his heart, he lived from that place. He made the father's decision. So how can we measure this? Measurement number one. On this scale of maturity, are we a child, a teenager, or a parent? And I think to assess this, 
Yes, get with a close friend and pray about it. But you can also ask yourself a few questions. So you can ask yourself, who's it all about? You could ask yourself, are you building God's kingdom or are you building your own empire? You could ask yourself, who comes first? Is it me or is it others? And finally, you could ask yourself, are you actively investing into others to see them grow and mature in their faith? And then measurement number two. We can measure if we have a big heart by seeing if God's word is not just in our head, but in our heart. So, for example, we know that we're called to love our neighbor. Yeah, give me a nod. We are, are we? Yeah, yeah, we are. We know it in our head, or are we actually doing it? We know, for example, that we're called to respect and honor church leadership. We know that in our head, but are we actually doing it in our heart with our words and with our actions? And the list goes on. Point number C, consistency like Christ. Jesus is the model of consistency. Jesus was consistent in season and out of season. Jesus was consistent when he was popular and when he wasn't popular. Jesus consistently followed and did what he saw his father doing. Jesus is the model of consistency. And in Jesus, something that we see him doing is responding. But he doesn't react. Because there's a difference between responding and reacting. Constantly throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus being confronted, challenged, tested. People are trying to bait him to say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. Yet Jesus never reacts on their level. Instead, he responds from a place of wisdom and maturity. And this is something that I've been learning over the past year or two. In 1 Peter 2.23, it says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Just like Jesus, as Christians, we are called not to react to our environment. We are called to govern our emotions. So that means that when a negative emotion maker comes at us, we have a choice. Do we take on hurt? Do we take on offense? Or do we instead choose to stand on God's word? Stand on the truth. You may have noticed, but our environment can throw so much rubbish at us. And all of a sudden, it can be easy to respond from a place of fear, worry, anxiety, negativity, doubt, frustration, anger. Yet all these things we're not designed to live with as Christians. In the New Testament, it actually commands you to not worry. 
it commands you to not be afraid. It commands you not to be anxious. In other words, you are responsible for guarding your own heart. You're responsible for keeping your love walk pure. No, nobody else is. Not any of us from the platform, but, but you. You know your own heart. And so you are responsible for guarding it and for keeping that space sacred. We've put on the new life, so let's live it. Let's not go back to our old life. Okay, how can we measure this? Two measurements. Measurement number one. To measure responding and reacting, you need to learn to monitor your own heart, to monitor your emotions. So when somebody says something to you that could cause you hurt or offense, are you going to respond with positive godly emotion or are you going to react with something negative like the way of the world? Measurement number two. Are we consistently like Christ in every season? I think the best way to measure this is to go through a storm. Anybody want to go through a storm in their life this morning? I can see that nobody's chomping at the bit to do that. But it's a natural part of life that we do, isn't it? So what do we do when a storm comes? Well... I had this picture the other day, and it was the picture of a smithy working in a furnace. And in the furnace, this smithy was making a sword. And as he put it into the furnace, what happens? The sword becomes, begins to become under intense pressure and heat. This sword becomes hot. And what happens? It becomes pliable, doesn't it? And when it comes out, puts it on the anvil, and he starts to lay his hammer into it. And that was speaking to me. Because in the same way, in my life and in your life, what happens is this. When we go through the furnace of life, our heart starts to become moldable and pliable. Our heart becomes softened. But here's the deal. You've got a choice. Is your heart going to go hard or are you going to allow God to get to work and to really just pump out those impurities in your life? So I want to encourage you. If you're going through a storm right now, if you're facing a challenge in your life to keep going, to keep persevering, in my own experience, it has always been worth it at the end. You may feel like giving up right now. Today, you might feel like you are at the end of yourself and you are at the end of your rope. But I want to encourage you to keep going, to keep pressing forward, to keep pressing on and to keep putting God first place in your life. As we draw to a close now, as we conclude this four-part series that we've been in, 
I want to tell you about the time that I went to a cheese factory. And, and it, 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 it does fit with what I'm going to say, so just bear with me. Up near Garstang, there's a little cheese factory. And it's fascinating, the step-by-step -step process of how they make cheese. Well, okay, it's not that interesting, but it's, it was interesting on the day. And you walk down this corridor and you see the process of cheese being made. And the last thing that you see is the process of maturing, the process of maturity. And I would love to tell you that it's really exciting, but the cheese was just sitting there. And they were like, this is where the cheese matures. I was like, great. Now, I understand that the environment is set to a particular temperature and they move it around and depending on how long they need to mature it for and how strong you like your cheese, it has different levels of temperature, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Other than that, the cheese just sits there. And that was speaking to me about this series that we've been in maturity, is that we are the exact opposite of that cheese. If you want to grow, if you want to become more like Jesus in your faith, you can't just sit there and do nothing. It doesn't work like that, I'm afraid. I've tried it, I've been there, got the t-shirt and nothing happened. I didn't go anywhere. If you want to grow, you have to be intentional. You have to intentionally seek God and put him first. When you grow in spiritual intimacy, when you grow in spiritual intimacy, you become a person of affection like Asaph. When you study God's word, when it moves from your head to your heart, you get a big heart like Boaz. And when you obey, you become like Christ, who was completely consistent in every way. And that's the ABC of Christian maturity. 